Hi, welcome to Medicines and Stuff podcast. My name is Jerry Kempney. I'm a GB-based pharmacist independent prescriber, and here I talk about medicines and variety of healthcare topics to help you to learn more about this fascinating stuff. This podcast contains information for educational purposes only and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Episode number 13, Atrial Fibrillation, Diagnosis and Management, according to NICE guideline NG196 from 2021. This guideline covers diagnosing and managing atrial fibrillation in adults. It includes guidance on providing the best care and treatment for people with atrial fibrillation, including assessing and managing risks of stroke and bleeding. Point number one, a detection and diagnosis. Perform manual pulse palpation to assess for the presence of an irregular pulse if there is a suspicion of atrial fibrillation. This includes people presenting with any of the following. Breathlessness, palpitations, syncope or dizziness, chest discomfort, stroke or transient uh, ischemic attack. Perform a 12-lead ECG to make a diagnosis of atrial fibrillation if an irregular pulse is detected in people with suspected atrial fibrillation with or without symptoms. In people with suspected paroxysmal atrial fibrillation undetected by 12-lead ECG recording, use an ambulatory ECG monitor, event recorder or other ECG technology for a period appropriate to detect atrial fibrillation if symptomatic episodes are less or more than 24 hours apart. Point number two, assessment of stroke and breathing risks. Stroke risk. Use the chart to DS2 VASC score, uh, stroke risk score to assess stroke risk in people with any of the following. Symptomatic or asymptomatic paroxysmal persistent or permanent atrial fibrillation, atrial flutter, a continuing risk of arrhythmia recurrence after cardioversion, back to sinus rhythm or catheter ablation. Bleeding risk. Assess the risk of bleeding when considering starting anticoagulation in people with atrial fibrillation and reviewing people already taking anticoagulation. Use the ORBIT bleeding risk score because evidence shows that it has a higher accuracy in predicting absolute bleeding risk than other bleeding risk tools. Accurate knowledge of bleeding risk supports shared decision-making and has practical benefits, for example, increasing patient confidence and willingness to accept treatment when risk is low and prompting discussion of risk reduction when risk is high. Next, offer monitoring and support to modify risk factors for bleeding, including uncontrolled hypertension, poor control of INR, is international normalized ratio in patients on vitamin K antagonists. Concurrent medication, including antiplatelets, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Um, then, including the harmful people with harmful alcohol consumption and uh, people with reversible causes of anemia. Next, discuss the results 
of the assessment of stroke and bleeding risk with a person taking into account their specific characteristics, for example, comorbidities and their individual preferences. Next point is assessment of cardiac function. Perform transthoracic echocardiography in people with atrial fibrillation uh, for whom a baseline echocardiogram is important for long-term management, then for whom a rhythm control strategy that includes cardioversion, electrical or pharmacological is being considered, then in whom there is a risk, uh, there is a high risk or suspicion of underlying structural or functional heart disease, such as heart failure or heart murmur that influences their subsequent management, for example, choice of antiarrhythmic drugs, and in whom refinement of clinical risk stratification for antithrombotic therapy is needed. Offer people with atrial fibrillation a personalized package of care. Ensure that the package of care is documented and delivered and it, that it covers stroke awareness and measures to prevent stroke rate control, assessment of symptoms for rhythm control, who to contact for advice if needed, psychological support if needed, up-to-date and comprehensive education and information on cause, effects and possible complications of atrial fibrillation, management of rate and rhythm control, anticoagulation, practical advice on anticoagulation and support networks, for example, cardiovascular charities. To support adherence and ensure safe and effective medicines used in people with atrial fibrillation, follow the recommendations in NICE guidelines on medicines adherence and medicines optimization. Refer people promptly at any stage if treatment fails to control the symptoms of atrial fibrillation and more specialized management is needed. This should be within four weeks after the failed treatment or after recurrence of atrial fibrillation after cardioversion. Next point is stroke prevention. Anticoagulation. When discussing the benefits and risks of anticoagulation, use uh, clinical risk profiles and personal preferences to guide treatment choices. Discuss with the person that for most people the benefit of anticoagulation outweighs uh, the bleeding risk. For people with an increased risk of bleeding, the benefit of anticoagulation may not always outweigh the bleeding risk and careful monitoring of bleeding risk is important. When deciding between anticoagulation treatment options, discuss the risks and benefits of different drugs with the person and follow the recommendations on shared decision-making and medicines adherence. Take into account any contraindications for each drug and follow the guidance in the British National Formulary and the MHRA advice on direct acting of oral anticoagulants, DOACs, in particular for advice on dosages in people with renal impairment, reversal agents, and monitoring. Offer anticoagulation with a DOAC to people with atrial fibrillation and a CHAT2-DS2 VASC score of 2 or above taking into account the risk of bleeding. Apixaban, Abigatran, Edoxaban and Rivaroxaban are all recommended as options. 
Consider anticoagulation with a DOAC for men with atrial fibrillation and a chat 2 ds 2 VASC score of 1, taking into account the risk of bleeding. Apixaban, Bigatran, Eduxaban and Rivaroxaban are all recommended as options. If DOACs are contraindicated, not tolerated or not suitable in people with atrial fibrillation, offer a vitamin K antagonist. For adults with atrial fibrillation who are already taking a vitamin K antagonist and are stable, continue with their current medication and discuss the option of switching treatment at their next routine appointment, taking into account the person's time in therapeutic range, TTR. Do not offer stroke prevention therapy with anticoagulation to people aged under 65 years with atrial fibrillation and no risk factors other than their sex. That is very low risk of stroke equating to a CHAT2DS2 VASC score of 0 for men or 1 for women. Do not withhold anticoagulation solely because of a person's age or their risk of falls. Next point is assessing anticoagulation control with vitamin K antagonists. Firstly, calculate the person's time in therapeutic range, TTR, at each visit. Reassess anticoagulation for a person whose anticoagulation is poorly controlled, shown by any of the following. Two INR values higher than five uh, or one INR value higher than eight within the past six months, or two INR values less than 1.5 within the past six months or TTR less than 65%. When reassessing anticoagulation, take into account and if possible address the following factors that may contribute to poor anticoagulation control. Cognitive function, adherence to prescribed therapy, illness, interacting drug therapy, lifestyle factors including diet and alcohol consumption. If poor anticoagulation control cannot be improved, evaluate the risks and benefits of alternative stroke prevention strategies and discuss these with the person. Next point is review of people with atrial fibrillation. For people who are not taking an anticoagulant, review stroke risk when they reach age 65 or if they develop any of the following at any age. Diabetes heart failure, peripheral arterial disease, coronary heart disease, stroke, transient ischemic attack or systemic thromboembolism. For people who are not taking an anticoagulant because of bleeding risk or other factors, review stroke and bleeding risks annually and ensure that all reviews and decisions are documented. For people who are taking an anticoagulant, review the need for anticoagulation and the quality of anticoagulation, at least annually. Consider left atrial appendage occlusion if anticoagulation is contraindicated or not tolerated, and discuss the benefits and risks with the person. Next point is rate and rhythm control. Rate control. Offer rate control as the first-line treatment strategy for it fibrillation except in people 
goes atrial fibrillation, AF has a reversible cause, who have heart failure thought to be primarily caused uh, by AF, with a new onset AF, with atrial flutter, whose condition is considered suitable for an ablation strategy to restore sinus rhythm, and for whom a rhythm control strategy would be more suitable based on clinical judgment. Offer either a standard beta blocker, that is a beta blocker other than sotalol, or a rate-limiting calcium channel blocker, diltiazem or verapamil, as initial rate control monotherapy to people with atrial fibrillation, unless the person does no or very little physical exercise or other rate-limiting drug options are ruled out because of comorbidities or the person's preferences. In this case, consider digoxin monotherapy for initial rate control. Base the choice of drug on the person's symptoms, heart rate, comorbidities and preferences. For people with AF and concomitant heart failure, HF, follow the recommendations on the use of beta blockers and avoiding calcium channel blockers in NICE guideline on chronic uh, heart failure. If monotherapy does not control the person's symptoms and if continuing symptoms are thought to be caused by poor ventricular rate control, consider combination therapy with any two of the following, a beta blocker, deltiazem, or digoxin. Do not offer amiodarone for long-term rate control. Next point, rhythm control. Consider pharmacological and or electrical rhythm control for people with AF whose symptoms continue after heart rate has been controlled or for whom a rate control strategy has not been successful. Antiarrhythmic drug therapy. Assess the need for drug treatment for long-term rhythm control, taking into account the person's preferences, associated comorbidities, risks of treatment and likelihood of reoccurrence of AF. Do not offer class 1C antiarrhythmic drugs such as flacanid or propafenone to people with known ischemic or structural heart disease. If drug treatment for long-term rhythm control is needed, consider a standard beta blocker, that is a beta blocker other than sotalol, as first-line treatment unless there are contraindications. If beta blockers are contraindicated or unsuccessful, assess the suitability of alternative drugs for rhythm control, taking comorbidities into account. Follow the advice on dronetaron as a second-line therapy option for long-term rhythm control after successful cardioversion in NICE technology appraisal guidance on dronetaron. Uh, consider amiodarone for people with left ventricular impairment or heart failure. In people with infrequent paroxysms and few symptoms or if symptoms are induced by known precipitants, such as alcohol or caffeine, a no-drug treatment strategy or a pill-in-the-packet strategy in which the antiarrhythmic drugs are taken only when an episode starts, it should be considered and discussed with the person. In people with paroxysmal AF, 
A pill in the pocket strategy should be considered for those who have no history of left ventricular dysfunction or valvular or ischemic heart disease and have a history of infrequent symptomatic episodes of paroxysmal AF and have a systolic blood pressure greater than 100 millimeters of mercury and a resting heart rate above 70 beats per minute and are able to understand how to and when to take the medication. Next point is cardioversion. For people having cardioversion for AF that has persisted for longer than 48 hours, offer electrical rather than pharmacological cardioversion. Consider amiodarone therapy starting 4 weeks before and continuing for up to 12 months after electrical cardioversion to maintain sinus rhythm and discuss the benefits and risks of amiodarone with the person. Next point is left atrial ablation. If drug treatment is unsuccessful, unsuitable or not tolerated in people with symptomatic paroxysmal or persistent AF, consider radiofrequency point-by-point ablation or if radiofrequency point-by-point ablation is assessed as being unsuitable, consider high balloon ablation or laser balloon ablation. When considering left atrial ablation, discuss the risks and benefits and take into account the person's preferences. In particular, explain that the procedure is not always effective and that the resolution of symptoms may not be long-lasting. Consider antiarrhythmic drug treatment for three months after left atrial ablation to prevent reoccurrence. Next point is pace and ablate strategy. Consider pacing and atrioventricular node ablation for people with permanent atrial fibrillation with symptoms or left ventricular dysfunction thought to be caused by high ventricular rates. Consider a left atrial catheter ablation before pacing and atrioventricular node ablation for people with paroxysmal AF or heart failure caused by non-permanent paroxysmal or persistent AF. Next point, rate and rhythm control for people presenting acutely. Carry out emergency electrical cardioversion without delaying to achieve anticoagulation in people with life-threatening hemodynamic instability caused by new onset AF. In people with AF presenting acutely without life-threatening hemodynamic instability, offer either rate or rhythm control if the onset of the arrhythmia is less than 48 hours. Offer rate control if onset is more than 48 hours or is uncertain. Anticoagulation for people presenting acutely with AF. In people with new onset AF who are receiving no or sub-therapeutic anticoagulation therapy. In the absence of contraindications, offer heparin at initial presentation. Continue heparin until a full assessment has been made and appropriate antithrombotic therapy has been started based on risk stratification. In people with a confirmed diagnosis of atrial fibrillation of recent onset, less than 48 hours since onset, offer oral anticoagulation if 
Stable sinus rhythm is not successfully restored within the same 48-hour period after onset of AF or there are factors indicating a high risk of AF reoccurrence, including history of failed cardioversion, structural heart disease, prolonged AF more than 12 months, or previous reoccurrences, or it is recommended in section on assessment of stroke and breathing risks and section on stroke prevention. For guidance on the initial management of stroke and atrial fibrillation, see recommendation in NICE guideline on stroke and TIA in over 16 years old. Next point, preventing postoperative AF. In people having cardiothoracic surgery, reduce the risk of postoperative AF by offering one of the following. Amiodarone, a standard beta blocker, or a rate-limiting calcium channel blocker. And do not offer digoxin. Next point is atrial fibrillation after surgery. Consider either a rhythm control or rate control strategy for the initial treatment of new onset postoperative atrial fibrillation after cardiothoracic surgery. If a rhythm control strategy is chosen, reassess the need for antiarrhythmic drug treatment at a suitable time point, usually at around six weeks. Manage postoperative AF after non-cardiothoracic surgery in the same way as for new onset AF with any other cause. In the, in the prophylaxis and management of postoperative AF, use appropriate antithrombotic therapy and correct identifiable causes such as electrolyte imbalance or hypoxia. Next point is stopping anticoagulation. In people with a diagnosis of AF, do not stop anticoagulation solely because AF is no longer detectable. Base decisions to stop anticoagulation on a reassessment of stroke and bleeding risk using CHAT2DS2 VASCs and ORBIT and a discussion of the person's preferences. Thank you very much for listening. If you like it, please share with friends and family, stay well, and I'll speak to you at the next episode.